DEI work within organizations has gotten a lot of press lately, but what does it take for a company to truly become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive? To dive more deeply into the topic for this episode, I've brought on Wayma Hoover. Wayma is a DEI leader and formal global head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Google. She has also held executive roles at multiple Fortune 500 companies, including Chief Diversity Officer and Global Head of Culture, Inclusion, and Diversity at Sanofi, and Global Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Pfizer. Wayma is a frequent speaker to business leadership audiences. She is working on a book and has authored many articles such as How to Transform DEI Energy into Action in the Workplace from Inc. and has been featured on Diversity Inc. and other podcasts. So clearly, Wayma knows her stuff and we are ready to have a really good conversation with her. And for you... If you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I am Jody Flynn. I'm the CEO and founder of Women Taking the Lead, a leadership development company that works with organizations and boards to close the performance gap by attracting, developing, and successfully promoting more women into senior levels of leadership. I help organizations realize these benefits through coaching, consulting, leadership development programs, and keynotes. If we are not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search for Jody Flynn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. You'll see the follow button is prominent on my profile, but if you click on the more button to the right, you'll find the option to connect. Click on that and be sure to add a note to the invitation letting me know you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Welcome to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, Wayma. Thank you. It's so great to be here, Jody. I so appreciate you being here and everyone has had a chance to hear all the amazing things that you have done all over the world from, for many big name companies, like people who, you know, definitely are aware of the companies that you've worked for and they have great names for themselves. But if you could share with everyone a little bit about what is your day-to-day life like, and what are some of the things that you enjoy doing? Yes, of course. And I think, you know, I have like a daily mantra that I one, wake up to, you know, I wake up to making sure that know that I am the creator of all things that bring me joy, happiness and peace. So that is what I wake up and I tell myself. And one of the next things I do is make sure I get outside and walk. So my daughter is up at 530 to go to school. Her bus comes at an insanely early time in the morning, 640. And so I'm up <laughs> 530 and have done like a two mile walk by 730 a.m. And that does two things for me. One, it helps me really be able to process what I have going on for the day. And from a mental standpoint, gear myself up to be able to show up, think about what is my thought process, how will I embark on those things? And then two, I just enjoy now, especially during this time of year, breathing in the cold, fresh air and giving myself that, you know, nature therapy. So that is 
two interesting things that, you know, help me set my day and the pace and the energy that I bring. I definitely resonate with a lot of that. My partner is a high school teacher. So yes, to the early mornings, you can't get away (laughs) from it. But I do love it. It gives me a little bit of runway also to have that morning routine. And for me, and it's, you know, for you, so important to have that time. And I know there are some people who are like, but I'm not a morning person. And I always say, it's not about what time you do it. It's about, is it one, do you take time first thing? Whatever time that is for you, because it's so important. And yes, the cold air was right before I moved to Virginia. I was staying with my sister in Massachusetts. It was January, February. And I was like, now I'm realizing how much I like the feel of cold air on my face. (laughs) But it was like that. It was that moment to really appreciate something. But, you know. I go back for holidays so that I can always get cold air around the holidays. So I'll enjoy that. Well, Wima, I'm really excited that you're here to have a conversation with me and to share all your wisdom with the women who are listening to this podcast. There were definitely some things that stood out for me when I was Um, you know, just checking you out online, you know, your LinkedIn profile, some YouTube videos, and just, you know, reading your bio, it it really caught my curiosity, you know, the work that you're doing, because I'm 100% in love with it. And but I know it's, it's challenging work. And something that stood out to me in um, your LinkedIn profile, you talk about embedding DEI, into people processes. Okay. I, I, you know, when I read that, I'm like, that's amazing. What does that look like on the ground level embedding DEI in the, the people processes? Cause I know with some different organizations I've been a part of, you know, either volunteering or working with, we talk about where can we bring DEI into all the things I'm doing. So if you could tell us a little bit about what that looks like and what the process is. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about that, it really is around making sure diversity, equity, inclusion is organically born into the fabric of how an organization operates. And to do that, it really has to be a part of the ethos and composition of an organization. So I'll go into the actual processes, but I think it has to start much larger than that. If you think about an organizational strategy, And actually their mission, what are they here for, right? Whether it be a products company, whether it be a pharmaceutical company, whether it be a technology company, you really are looking at how they touch their customers and patients um, and make sure they reach them and meet them where they are. And to do that, you have to have an insight and openness to invite everyone in and to make sure that your processes, systems, approaches don't exclude or don't provide opportunity for everyone to be able to benefit from your work or your services. And so part of it is really understanding kind of what is your purpose, your mission, your values, and ensuring that as a part of that process, you have embedded inclusion, um, equitable, fair treatment, um, opportunities to be able to identify and connect with all of your customers, clients, and also How are you mirroring your marketplace through your employee base? How are your employee base reflecting the patients and customers you have in very thoughtful ways? And if you do that, then looking at 
pulling it into your organizational processes becomes much easier because you're basically taking that roadmap that you have set through your strategy, your, your purpose, your mission, your values, and actually now putting them into pra practical programs and practices, such as your diversity recruitment efforts, looking at how you assess leadership, right? Looking at not only what people do, but how they do it, the way that they actually drive inclusive behaviors, the way that they are assessing talent and ensuring that being open to different styles of leadership, different opportunities for people to be able to bring their own unique perspective based on their background, their gender, their age, and that the environment allows for that and does not minimize people that actually have, you know, uh, a, a different approach and or over indexes a particular style or um, way of working. And so those processes are everything that we're familiar with or may not be familiar with. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at pipelines for growth, where do you actually have the opportunity to make sure that your promotions and the development program touches and represents all, that you are looking at not only who you bring in, but the way that you bring in, right? Some of the things that I'm working on right now that are very progressive practices are is the onboarding process for employees and ensuring that diversity, equity, inclusion is included in that. Recognizing if you bring people in that are, you know, of a underrepresented community and they're coming into a very homogenous environment, you may have to take a different approach to making sure they're set up for success. You may do have to have a high touch, expand their network, give them peer mentors, um, ensuring that they have the necessary tools. I'll be coaching, I'll be uh, employee resource groups to help their integration. So that's what I mean when I talk about embedding it into the processes is really the output of making sure that it's a pull through from the position that organizations are, are taking or their commitment through their ambition that they set. And that is actually pulled into practical, tangible processes that affect every every level of the people processes. Okay, that completely makes sense. And the example of onboarding, you can see where, okay, here are some things that might be missing and here are some things that we can include. With some of the other things, do you have an example, like a story you can share, not naming any names? I know you've worked with companies that have really good intentions and really wanted to do good work, but where you came in and you saw like the obstacles and what you identified and what you put in place instead to help make the environment and the processes more inclusive and diverse? I mean, I, I would say that that's every organization. <laughs> so I think every organization is really kind of focused on, on that. Um, I do think that it is also around the readiness of the organization. Um, and I say that because if an organization is going through a significant amount of change and, for example, has um, either divested or brought on or companies or organization, your focus on DEI is going to look quite different from an organization that has been really set in and actually in growth mode, mode right? And so one example like I can, um, I can share is one organization I went in, um, kind of came into, was actually transitioning to a global business unit model 
meaning that they were the business units were no longer aligned by function, but was aligned by global region. And because of that, the focus of diversity and inclusion is that should be something that we can track globally. Because if we are moving to this model, we need to make sure that as we're transitioning our practices, our, our products, how we're looking at business growth, we need to make sure we do that with our talent. So we ended up putting in, and I suggested a global uh, representation um, expectation for women to actually have the leadership roles and take on roles of increasing responsibility and career mobility in these global units. And we created programs to make sure that we had flexible work environment in that some women may not be able to uproot themselves and move to another country for career opportunities. So how are we setting up the conditions that people can work flexibly and still have opportunities for roles at increasing levels without having to relocate, disrupt family, or really consider um, having to make a life decision between family and work because of that? So in addition to having the global women as a representation marker that we're looking for leadership positions, but also the environment, making sure that we had global flexible work that was aligned to and given at all of our our markets to promote the um, onboarding and more senior roles for women in the organization. Yeah. And what I heard in what you said was like a few factors are involved with this. The company has to be ready for it. I mean, we can all get that, you know, if they're, you know, if middle management is like, yes, let's move forward with this. This is great. But senior management is like, yeah, we're not that invested. It's not really probably going to go. And I feel that because if there is not a readiness and you, for example, we do the, the former, what I just said, okay, now that we're moving to a global business unit, we're going to not track the diversity of women and leadership roles. But if you don't do the second step, which making sure that they can not only get the roles, but succeed in the roles because their leaders, their teams know that they have to operate in a more flexible virtual environment, then that those women are, they're either going to relocate mm-hmm. up or they're not going to be able to take those positions. So that's where the commitment and the readiness has to be um, at the center of these actions so that it can be holistic interventions and yes, just not base, you know, very, very one-time kind of window dressing that solves, you know, maybe solves a problem or gives them a talking point on the, on the year-end uh, diversity uh, report, but truly helps move the needle. Yes. It, you know, so it's, not, okay, that's great. So it's cyclical too. They're all tied together. Like the readiness the metrics and having the environments that support the work as well. And I have heard a lot of companies, that's something they've gone through where they set a goal to bump the numbers. They did temporarily. And then ultimately what they're looking at is we didn't move the needle at all. And what do you see typically are the things that really have to be in place to move that needle. Because I I do hear senior leaders and companies say, we really do want to increase the numbers of women. And we do want diversity, you know, in our senior ranks. We really, like, you hear them say it, they're passionate about it. And ultimately, another year goes by 
and they haven't done it, right? And I think this is happening. We're hearing this more and more because so many companies have declared these goals publicly and now they have to report like we didn't, or we only moved it like a half or 1% or even 2%. What do you, what do you see in those situations? Yeah. And those situations, a great question. And that is very true. And in those situations, what most often happens is that the goal is set, but there is no sustainable underpinning in terms of practical actions that are required as a part of the operational processes. So for example, you may have a goal and say, we're going to have, you know, kind of go after these diversity talents. But when, when you look at where you're seeking the talent, right, you're going to the same markets. You have the same university. You're not opening up to historically black colleges and universities. You're not looking at individuals or role people that have had other roles and now are cross-fertilizing experiences that can be seen as value add to the roles. And another thing what I would say is, it has to be embedded in your talent management processes, meaning that when you're looking at high potential programs or leadership development programs, you got to look at the composition of them. If you are seeing that, you know, 80 to 85 percent of your participants in your high potential or leadership development program are white male, how do you think you're going to get the progression of diversity if you're literally doing your high touch intervention on one homogenous group? And so you may even get pushback and say, oh, they met the criteria. The other people didn't. So that, that's why they're chosen. Ah, and then you have to l- dig a little bit deeper. So they met the criteria. So what's the criteria? Right. Yeah. The criteria, if it's lower level than in the end the organization, if they've had to have certain career moves or certain jobs, then you see the same barriers exist. So you have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to over index on this population because we want there to be a representation and we want them to be invested in for their growth and not only their growth, but their sustainability when they get there. Yeah. Because one one thing that I think is a dangerous thing and one thing I do not purport to is putting people in role just to fill a quota or a number, because if you do not have efforts in place to not only help people get there organically through development, through career experience. And then when they're there, offer the support, right? If I, if you think about it, offer the scaffolding, right? Everything in that, what I mean by scaffolding, the mentorship, the advocacy, the training, Mm -hmm. the hands-on experience, then they're not going to be successful. And oftentimes when you see your example, you said earlier, when goals are made and that they're, they see an initial spike, but then it falls off. That indicates to me that there's really no systemic interventions that are being done to carry these processes through the way that the organizational people, leadership development and retention efforts are being driven. Yeah, that's what I've I've definitely, you talked about quotas. I just, somebody was just telling me at a a conference I attended a few weeks ago that the company, she just left. She was one of the, one of two senior leaders and they were trying to increase the percentage of senior leaders in her company. And so they promoted somebody to a position that they were not qualified for in order to meet the numbers. And then the Mm -hmm. two women in senior leadership were leaving, not for any 
you know, for their own career reasons. So then the company, after having done this, like putting this woman in a position where she perhaps wasn't ready for, Mm -hmm. and I'm doubtful that they had all of the supports in place. Now they're behind their numbers again. And it just seems like there's like this vicious cycle. If we're not doing, do it, I hate to put it this way, but like doing it the right way, right? If we're not doing it with good intentions and we're doing it just to save face publicly because we set a goal and now we'd have to say we failed and then examine why we failed, like exactly. then it just creates more problems. Yeah. And I would, I would even say that I don't, I know that there's wonderful intention and I know that there is, you know, a true desire to improve. However, I think that there is not a holistic intervention that is seen. It literally is looking at checking a box or putting a bandaid over something. Hey, if we have this and we get the numbers temporarily, we're going to give ourselves a round of applause and like, you know, claim victory one, where quite frankly, there needs to be um, a realistic view that in order to make sustainable change, you have to give yourself about 24 to 36 months because that change will require a change in the way that you seek talent in the prototype of what success and leadership looks like. That has to be challenged because if you have people, you have roles and jobs and leaders that traditionally has been held by a particular prototype of a leader, it's going to be hard to go against that. For example, I remember one of my organizations, we were, it was in a scientific organization and we were looking at diversifying this very scientific area of the, the company. And what we ended up doing, you know, um, was realizing that it was difficult for us to even get candidates that fit a different profile, gender, um, ethnicity, background experience. So I decided to have my team embark on an audit of the job descriptions. I said, I just want to see what the job descriptions look like because it, it really, it really is hard for me to believe that we can't in this area find everything. And literally, lo and behold, got a one job description that was was raised was literally said 35 years of experience. Oh, <laughs> literally, it said that went to this particular school and it had three schools that had this particular. Um, master's degree program. Others did, but that's what they had done in the past. They literally replicated the person that was in the role before and made their their whole experience the job description. And we found that quite often, that it was just literally a mental model that was put in people's head as this scientific leader needs to look, sound, have a pedigree of this background to be successful. And we, cha- of course, we scrapped that. We changed that. We started looking at other other um, educational areas, master's programs. We started looking at different years of experience. If they had lesser experience but moved into particular areas that would qualify, and a lot of times that's the work that's not done. Mm. That real diagnostic in terms of systems, processes, and what are we not challenging because it is so embedded and ingrained in us as a success factor that is causing us not to be able to open the aperture and invite differences, experience, backgrounds. Yes. Um, Are you getting value from listening to the Women Taking the Lead podcast? If so, could you do me a huge favor? Could you leave a rating and a review in your favorite podcast app? 
Ratings and reviews make a podcast easier to discover, and written reviews let a potential listener know whether or not a podcast might be of interest to them. Podcast reviews lend social proof that listening to the episode is worth someone's time. So if you would be open to leaving a review, go into the Women Taking the Lead podcast show page in your favorite podcast app. Every app is different, but if you can't find a setting near the top of the screen, you can just scroll down a bit to find it. For instance, on Spotify, click on the three dots to the right of the setting wheel, but on Apple Podcasts, it's about halfway down the show page. Thank you so much. I see all the ratings and reviews and each one makes a difference. You just named like, I think two two huge problems is one, we just get used to the way things are always done and we don't stop and examine, you know, like things we may haven't looked at before, like job descriptions or onboarding processes and, and, you know, how our benefits packages are put together and presented things, things that are very basic, but are so vital to that, that talent acquisition um, process. And also the, um, that we're asking for change. And sometimes when we start change, people get scared, like, oh my God, like, what if we do offer this position to somebody who has a different background or a different job experience, went to a different school? What will, like people almost like the sky is falling, what will happen to us? And I'm, I'm going to take us in a direction of, I almost feel like it's like I'm saying the sky is blue because to me, it's so obvious and you know this information as well, but I don't know that everyone does. And I feel like it needs to be stated that, that having more women in leadership, more women in senior leadership and more people of color in leadership and in senior leadership increases the bottom line of the company, like profitability increases, morale increases, like the the sustainability of the, the company to last over the course of time increases. And yet we still have some systems in place that are making it hard for these people to attain those positions. And so I've been, I've been saying it a lot. So I'm going to repeat myself for those of you who have been listening to the company, like, like, yes, people need to be trained and get mentorship and supports and things of that nature. But companies have to change if they want to hit these goals, if they want the benefits of having women and people of color in leadership and senior leadership positions. They really have to make these changes. Otherwise, what's going to happen is like what, what you and I have been talking about, where the needle moves and then it goes down and then it moves and then it goes down. What, what is, cause sometimes I I'm like another study comes out and it says it again, you know, and, and you're so immersed in this work. What has yet been your experience in having conversations with companies who might, you know, are like just there, they're just ready to start making these changes. Yeah. Well, I want to say that I feel like there is an overall sentiment of wanting to do good and diversity, equity, inclusion space um, across multinational companies. I think that what we have experienced through the global pandemic, you know, with the 
people responding, you know, to being, you know, the isolation and the mental health challenges that has risen, you know, because of being quarantined and then really sitting through um, all of these, um, you know, racial injustices and the social climate that we have had, I think organizations are now stepping up to saying, hey, you know, we have to be a part of the solution. So I'll preface this by saying that I do think that there is an overwhelming desire and um, uh, effort to do to do well. Great. I also want to say that in that desire or effort, it's still relying on past and exto- historical belief sets and actions, which do not allow for their progress not only to be made, but to be sustained. And one of the things that I share and, and readily kind of bring up to make sure that it's top of mind organization is not only looking at where you want your talents and skills to be today, but really look at where your talents and skills should be tomorrow, should be three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now. And if you think about bringing on complementary skills, really looking at your talent and adding skills, ability, insights, um, generational differences, that's going to help you be more competitive, more ingrained, having the ability to really drive innovation in a meaningful way, you will, there's no strategy in that that will not have diversity at the center. It just just won't happen. There has to be an openness, willingness, and a necessity to bring in more women, more people, you know, different generations, more people of color, because these are the demographics that are changing and evolving the way we work, how we work, and the decisions in our our lifestyle decisions that we have in meaningful ways. And so that has been probably the most... um, effective coaching that I have got that has allowed me then to be bold and progressive with how we will kind of uh, approach this, redefining what success looks like, redefining what the talent looks like, but also how it could be shaped for tomorrow. And that has excited me because there's less focus on just getting, filling numbers and quotas and getting butts and seats and more focus on what is the value add? What are the insights that we're going to get from female leaders? From female leaders, how are we making sure that we're building not only getting them in the door, but building pipelines of growth within our organization? So we look at those bottlenecks, right, and those concrete that concrete middle that I call, whereas you know the I wouldn't even call it glass ceiling because it's so difficult for women and people of color to, to surpass that in organizations. What are we doing to make sure we examine why that is, where the plateau is, and how to effectively navigate through that? And then celebrate that. See that as a talent for the future um, effort that really can bring around about tremendous innovation, idea creation, and being able to have a lifeline that you can have a successful strategic approach in the future. And, and that has been, I think, one of the, as I mentioned, the most effective strategies that has allowed companies to lean in to not only doing things different, but actually taking approaches today that's going to give them a different talent set tomorrow. I'm so excited hearing you talk about that 
that approach uh, to this this work. It does give me hope. And I know there are so, so many leaders out there who really do want to move the needle in this area and want to do good work 100%. For the women who are listening uh, to this conversation, whether they are change agents or they want to be change agents, or maybe they even just want to cheerlead on friends who are in this work, what is something they can do in, in their companies to start um, seeing some of these changes come about? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say several things. One, I, I think being vocal about the conditions that women have in the organization. So being vocal as a part of an employee resource groups, a business resource group, but making sure that your experiences are heard, are known, and the organization really has an opportunity to have visibility to the things that are, you know, promoting and 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 helping women, or those kind of unwritten norms and cultural practices that may be hindering the growth and opportunity of women. The second thing I would say is make sure as you're thinking about your talent in your career, that you go for roles and really seek opportunities that's going to stretch you. Oftentimes, women always, we as women, and I have been um, a victim of this as well, we will make sure when we go for um, a role of increasing responsibility, we will be the ones that make sure that we have done the job 10 times, proven ourselves, have every check box checked off, have every skill marked before we even throw our hat in the ring. And I have to say, we need to stop this. We need to believe in our own skills, our own potential and our own growth. And that we too should have the opportunity to grow in the role, to be able to utilize our skills and use that as a way to develop and give to other roles, increasing responsibility and have an expectation to be supported in that. So really that self-advocacy and not um, curtailing your own growth because you are checking a box to making sure that you have so much comfort that it becomes not comfort. It, becomes, it almost becomes you're just do, doing something that's germane to you, but give yourself opportunity to be stretched. Um, and then the third thing I would say is very important. Women um, and the organization can support this, but making sure that you're intentional with communicating your successes. I know that that's something that also comes as not natural to all women because there's an assumption and I think not generalizing, but I think women overall are nurturers. And so we're used to taking care of others and just assuming that our good nature and our abilities will be recognized and appreciated. Well, not often that that does not happen very often. I can tell you um, within you know the corporate space. So really feeling comfortable and creating a way, a comfortable way for you to be thoughtful and intentional about sharing your learnings, your successes, your experiences in the you know certain places and spaces so that you can gain advocacy, so that you will have the ability to give the seeds to those who can advocate and sponsor you when you are not there. And you don't have to come off as boastful. You don't have to come off as you are kind of tooting your own horn. But, you know, a lot of us can take a couple of notes from the men that are around us that <laughs> have a way of doing this that is just so ingrained to them because that's how they were taught. Yes. And so since young, you know, young, you know, like, like, like children, they were taught, taught, hey, speak 
about that. Celebrate your successes. Talk about them. Show them. We definitely can use a lesson for that and really think about how we can self-promote in ways that make us feel comfortable. I'm always around doing it in your own way, in your own manner, but really being intentional about that. I love that. I've definitely been guilty. I have been that person who's like, I'm working so hard. Of course, they see the work that I'm doing. And then I realized one day, like, no, they don't. They're busy. They're not, they're not walking around being like, let me see if people are working hard. They're not, that's what they're doing. So you do have to find ways. And I love how you said that ways that are comfortable for you, right? If you're introverted, maybe you can just send your boss an email, be like, Hey, I just want to let you know what's been going on in my area and what we've been doing and what we've been up to. And then it's not so boastful and, and don't hold back from being like, Oh, and you know, this project that I'm working on is now at, you know, at this phase, we've had successes a hundred percent. And also I can't skip over talking about the job description. Cause you even talked about it earlier too. Job descriptions are usually written based on the last person who had the job and how long did they have that job before they look like, and I yes. realized that one time, like, like I wrote a job description based on a job that I had been in for years. And so I wrote out everything I did. That's not what the job looked like when I took it. Right. Exactly. So, so read job descriptions based on this is the, what the work that I'll be expected to do when I've matured into the position. But when I start the position, if I, if I have a good portion of this, like I'm good. And I can grow from there. And I would add to that if it's something that you are truly interested in, because I can tell you, if you have motivation and propensity to learn something that you're interested in, you will put the effort to grow in it. So look at how is this going to help me grow? Am I interested in that? Then all of us as as human beings, we will put in the discretionary, discretionary effort, not only to learn, but to excel in those roles and give ourselves that credit and being able to grow, to learn, to evolve. Um, and to your point, not having to master everything before we step into it. Yeah. Wayma, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I love that you could speak to us from the individual level and then look at like what companies can do on the organizational level as well. Where can people find you? Because you're exciting and you're interesting to watch. So they're going to want to Checking out more of what you got going on. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to uh, follow, and then my website is www.waymahoover.com. And on there, you have all of the articles. So I'm a contributing author also for several publications that you can see the articles that I have written, um, everything from diversity, equity, inclusion, to cultural competence, to women in the workplace, um, as well as uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, Waymo. Hoover and Be Limitless um, uh, Consulting. And also I speak, I'm a keynote speaker, so I may be coming to a, a city near you. And all I always publicize that on LinkedIn where you can also follow me. Awesome, Wayma. That is amazing. And, you know, I just want to thank you for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We're all better for having met you. It's my pleasure. And thank you for all that you do and keep up the great work, Jenny. What were your takeaways from my conversation with Wema? 
I would love to hear your thoughts about the DEI work in your organization. Specifically, what is going well and where are the opportunities? Head over to LinkedIn to share your thoughts and takeaways on the post that corresponds with this episode. I would love to hear what stood out most for you. And if your last promotion has you experiencing and confronting challenges you haven't faced before, consider working with me. I would love to support you through this transition, help you get your bearings and feeling confident in your leadership once again. You can find a link to schedule a time to chat with me in the episode description. If you're listening through a mobile device, that link will be in your podcast app. If you are listening through the Women Taking the Lead website, that link will be toward the bottom of the episode webpage. And if you're going to ask your company to sponsor you to work with a coach, there's also a link to access a checklist that will help you to prepare for that conversation. As always, I hope this was of value to you and here's to your success.